You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, talking to the Artistic Director of the Australian Theatre for Young People, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live, and record, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water, and community. We pay respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Eliza, take it away with the bulletin. This week, we are thrilled that Disney's Mary Poppins will be returning to Australia. It has been announced that the Tony and Olivier award-winning show will be performing at the Sydney Lyric Theatre in May 2022. The production will feature new songs and additional music by the songwriting team George Stiles and Anthony Drew. Tickets will be on sale from August 2021. If you are in Perth or Brisbane, you are in for a treat this year, with West Side Story coming to QPAC and the Crown Theatre. The cast was announced early last week with Nigel Huckle as Tony and Sophie Slavasani as Maria. Make sure to also keep an eye out for previous guests on the podcast, Angelina Thompson playing Anita. Congratulations to everyone who has been cast. The show will be on in Perth from 29th of June 2021 and Brisbane from the 24th of July 2021. Head to Opera Australia's website for more information. An exciting new Australian musical, Alice's Adventures, written and produced by Andrew Freeborn, is having a workshop performance of their new work on June 25th and 26th at Sydney's Glebe Town Hall. The cast stars Josephine Cornwell as Alice, Lincoln Elliott as the Mad Hatter and Lucy Ross as the Red Queen. We are very excited that our very own Tori will be playing the March Hare in this production. So this is not one to miss. For more information and tickets, head to their Instagram at alicesadventures underscore the musical. Now back to you, Tori. Fraser Caulfield is a director, dramaturg and the artistic director of the National Youth Theatre Company, the Australian Theatre for Young People. With 20 years experience running youth art communities, companies, he is recognised as a leader in the development of presentation of theatre with and for young people in Australia. Fraser is a passionate advocate for new work and has commissioned and developed over 50 productions. His work has challenged perceptions of youth theatre in Australia, receiving the nation's highest awards for artistic excellence and placing theatre with and for young people on the national stage. His productions have been presented in every state and territory in Australia 
as well as the UK, Canada, South Africa, the USA, and Japan. Fraser regularly sits on industry panels and advisory groups for all levels of government, foundations, advocacy organizations, and peak bodies. Please welcome to the mic, Fraser. Hello, Tori and Eliza. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you for waiting for me. I'm just hot out of auditions, <laughs> so I feel my creative brain is up and up and running warmed up. Now you are the artistic director for the Australian Theatre of Young People, obviously from our amazing introduction, our, our listeners will know that. Um, but what exactly does that job entail? It's quite a big title and I'm sure that there are a lot of responsibilities that come with that. Yeah, it's interesting actually. When I am, um, yeah, so essentially the artistic director is there to set the creative vision for a company and to a certain extent, I think, to set up the company culture. So in, an, in a youth theatre company, the way that the company engages artists and the wider community tends to be very strongly dictated specifically by the artistic director, the way they make art, the way they think about art, and the way that they want their company to be received. That is a good explanation of that. <laughs> That's great, because this is one thing where you want to get into the nitty-gritty of what you do day-to-day, and it's like... Yeah. Look, you know, it's pretty broad. It's everything from, because we've got a new home. So at the moment, it's everything from kind of what colour fabrics are on the seats in our theatre and how many power outlets do we need (laughs) to what is going to happen with the next stage of the creative development of this project and what actors do we want in this show. So it's kind of, it's, every day is an interesting challenge. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like it's uh, it's definitely about, like you said, creating community and and having that um, the company feel almost that is, is so much part of it. And through that, you have like the very minute day to day things and then you have the bigger things that you have to deal with, which are the more sometimes the more exciting things. But I don't know, I think uh, choosing what what theater your theater is going to look like is pretty exciting, too. Yeah, it's totally fun. And I mean, it's interesting because a lot of it isn't as much, I, uh, and I guess everyone is different, but my philosophy is the artistic director is not the person that needs to make all the artistic decisions um, because there just aren't enough opportunities for people to do that. It's about creating an environment where a bunch of people can contribute to the decision-making process, which kind of makes it fun. Which I think is definitely the kind of community that um, not only yourself, but everyone that is part of the the broader team at ATYP have have really done it. I mean, for as long as I have participated in ATYP, because if you didn't know, I've been doing ATYP classes since I was, oh God, I want to say like 10. So going on like oh, 12 years now. Um, so I've known Fraser for a very long time. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it, it's one of the more, I think it is probably, and look, I'm probably biased, the most welcoming um, theatre company that I've ever been a part of, but also you're very progressive and it really is a community. It's such a big community of people and it's such a great um, company to be a part of in any way, shape or form. So I think you've done a great job as an artistic director in creating that. Oh, thanks, Tori. That's great to hear. An artistic director, and it is, like you said, I think for every artistic director, the job is a little bit, different yeah but so how did you kind of find your way into becoming an artistic director yeah it's interesting so I when I left so I went and did I went and studied but I did um the communications theater media course in Bathurst uh 
So it's for those that aren't familiar with it, it's not a specialized training course in the same way that, say, the NIDA and VCA and WAPA tend to be. It was more of a broad grounding, which had a real focus on collaboration and collective work. So one of the things that you have to do from year, throughout the three or you had to do throughout the three years of the course was constantly work with your other people in your year within various roles of theatre making or filmmaking to realise projects. So we were, were doing a lot of devised work to meet specific ends. Um, and then when I finished uni, I was actually just really focused on being an actor. And I moved up to Brisbane um, back to Brisbane because I grew up in northern New South Wales and my parents were just south of the border. So I moved back to be a bit closer to my family and initially to try and study being a high school teacher. Um, and I managed, oh. Oh, wow. yeah, I did two weeks of my first four-week prac, I think, and then went, I hate this. I don't like young people. I don't like schools. I don't want to do this I don't again. like young people. And so I, oh, no. I kind of I pulled out and I went and just focused on, trying to be an actor and spent three years in Brisbane doing independent shows and bits and pieces and working part-time jobs and being predominantly unemployed, to be honest. And then um, Mm. I hit a point where I was starting to get traction in the theatre industry. I'd been unemployed long enough that the government would pay half the wage of to anyone who would employ me. And I assistant directed a show with a professional company up there called Le Boite and got along really well with the director. And like most assistant directing gigs, it was voluntary. But um, the director said, look, I'll try and help you get a job at the end of it. And so when that finished, within about two weeks, it was kind of, it just felt extraordinarily lucky. The resident assistant director at Le Boite, who was also an actor, um, got a job in a series that was being shot in Sydney, so he had to leave town. Lebois needed to find a new assistant director. I'd just been recommended by the director, ah. and the government would pay half the wage if they employed me. <laughs> so that was how I kind of got my break. So I became resident assistant director at Lebois when I was 24 for 12 months, and then they kept me on as associate director for another three years. So I I was really fortunate when I look back on it. You know, I got a residency and essentially like a four-year traineeship with Le Bois in my 20s. And then when that was coming to an end um, and there was a change of artistic director and it was just really clear that, you know, there was that feeling that we get in the arts, like you've had your go, time to move on. And, yeah. I mean, most places are, are fairly small, but, but Brisbane, like Adelaide and Perth, you know, they're pretty tiny, brutal spaces and it was that feeling that because I'd been given a residency in my 20s if I was going to continue to pursue the adult theatre line I would really kind of sit out of the industry for a few years until I kind of got back in and I just wanted to run companies so I started to look at youth theatre companies and um, because they were the only ones that would kind of appoint a 28 year old artistic director and there was a company in South Australia called Riverland Youth Theatre uh, and so I applied and got the gig running Riverland Youth Theatre. So I moved from La Boite from Brisbane down to regional South Australia and lived down there running a company for a couple of years. Wow. So it was interesting. And my intention was always to jump back to adult theatre. I was never initially wanting to stay in youth theatre. But once I was there, it was interesting because it had an impact in some respects that you don't get in adult theatre. So... You kind of, 
I had, well, you know, obviously came through with a whole bunch of artists the same age and we were all so desperate to get involved and desperate to work in professional theatre. And then seeing for those of us that got the chance, and there were some actors and there was one good friend at the time, Hayden Spencer, and he was the, so keen and then he really hit it and he was getting gig after gig after gig. But after a while, once he was getting these professional gigs, he wasn't getting to choose which ones they were. He was just because he had to take whatever job came. He was in shows that sometimes didn't inspire him. And I was just chatting to him one day and he said, you know, I was just sitting in the first day of rehearsals for, and I think it might have even been, this is a long time ago, it might have been a Queensland Theatre Company show. And he said, um, and I was just looking out the window and I realised I'd rather be playing golf. And and I had that thing going, <laughs> yeah, right, because sometimes in professional theatre, though you're passionate about making theatre, you don't have any control really over the type of theatre you're making. And, and mm. even though in youth theatre you're constantly kind of navigating a whole series of obstacles, you can't, can kind of have a freedom to choose the sorts of projects you want to do. And generally, in almost all the experiences, the people that are involved have an experience that they always remember, you know, like you're young actors, whether it's young professional actors or young actors doing youth theatre kind of amateur work, they're really having an experience that stays with them and that kind of hooked me into youth theatre, I have to admit. It's fantastic and definitely that um, the freedom that you have with that, with your position now to, to make the decisions and and get to create theater that you do want to create because you can like you said you can get into a job that you you know you might have gone for a different role and you might get the one that you don't want and you're you're stuck in there for the long haul but money's money um (laughs) but obviously with that freedom you've been able to create some initiatives so what have been some of the initiatives you've created since starting to work with atyp I guess the big thing for me has been uh, supporting playwrights and commissioning new writing. And there's been a couple of reasons for that. One of the conversations that came... So when I was at La Boite, my job was looking after the new writing. So we used to run a, a monthly play reading season and a festival of new work. And um, we had a, a play advisory committee. Um, so we would select, um, accept scripts from anyone that wanted to submit them and we would read them and assess them and recommend plays for production. So I was really fortunate in that, you know, from that time in my 20s I was involved in the development of new work. And then with youth theatre, youth theatre in the the 90s, am I going back too far? Yeah, in the 90s, (laughs) it was all devised work. So, and generally in Queensland at that time, youth theatre was the same thing over and over. So you would get your cast together. And you would say, we're going to interrogate this issue from a young person's perspective. And it might be bullying or loneliness or partying or whatever. And so you'd you'd talk about it as a group and then you'd create all these, you'd go and you'd do a bunch of activities that would create a whole bunch of scenes. And then you'd bring all the scenes back together and then you'd work out how to put them together in a show. And then that would be your show about that thing. And so all this this youth theatre was issue-based collage drama over and over and over again. Um, And having come from a professional theatre background, one of the things that shocked me a bit was that it was really empowering for the young people involved, but they weren't necessarily getting skills that we could then apply within professional theatre at La Boite, you know. So what was created in youth theatre and the skills that they were developing in youth theatre didn't relate to professional theatre. 
which I found frustrating. Mm. And the other element of it was that when you looked around at shows that young people could perform, there just wasn't a lot written for them that had been professionally developed. Most of it had been developed in this kind of devised process over a very short period of time with a very limited dramaturgical process where everyone was empowered equally. But nothing was developed with the same rigour with which the major performing arts companies and the the professional theatre companies would apply to their shows for their seasons. So you kind of had this disconnect where we're saying, oh, young people aren't interested in theatre, young people aren't interested in narrative anymore, but it's because the plays we were given them were actually written for middle-aged and older audiences to be played by middle-aged and older actors. And so you've got a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old trying to play Macbeth or trying to play someone in their 30s or Willie Loman having a midlife crisis. And needless to say, it didn't kind of, it wasn't the best that that theatre could be. So my interest was about going, well, let's generate a whole bunch of theatre that's developed professionally with the same level of rigour. But it puts young people in the box seat. That when they're reading the character, it's a character that actually speaks the world that they understand in a language that they speak um, with relationships that they can relate to. And so in doing that, the idea is that we still have complex stories. We stop telling playwrights, oh, no, no, you know, these young people aren't very experienced, you need to write more simply. No, you write as complex a character as you want and we'll go and find actors that are young and talented enough to pull that off and let's see how that changes. And what's been so interesting, I have to admit, having stayed at at, um, ATYP for quite a long time now, is seeing this shift in writing as a result of that. Like the the plays that young and emerging writers are writing tend to be much more for young people than they used to, like their own age group. So we used to, when you'd get 10 playwrights age kind of 18 to 26, all their plays would be driven at what they thought were the main stage and all their characters were like their parents' generation. Whereas now they're tending to write way more for their own generation and they write way more characters that they relate to and they understand. And the, and the sort of theatre that we're seeing come through for young people is way more sophisticated than it was 15 years ago. And I think, yeah, so if I guess was to point to one thing um, from my time uh, as an artistic director at ATYP, it would be that focus on creating new work, supporting writers and supporting writing for young people to perform. Oh, definitely. I remember actually coming to see a production you guys did, and I'm pretty sure they were just monologues or duologues. There was, I, I it was a while ago. Oh, I took I, you to that. <laughs> yeah, you took me to that intersection. There you go. And I, I was blown as a young person. You know, this is a couple of years ago now, and um, it was so amazing to just see work that was, it was deep, and it wasn't, it wasn't surface level. It wasn't oh like party party time it actually got down to what core value like not values but what what young people think and how they feel and the complexity of it because sometimes it can be too surface level with young people oh all young people are the same the issues are the same but to actually see complex work from young people for young people is amazing yeah and and it's really one of the gorgeous things about that too because all the writers in intersection are 18 to 26 so you're getting There's a lot of stuff about sexuality and gender and race Mm -hmm. and cultural diversity and religious diversity because they're issues that are really prescient for young people at the moment. And so it is such a delight then to see these works get the opportunity to come up for other young people to perform them. And then kind of (laughs) 
slowly getting older and older. But seeing the young people that have come through <laughs> this now go on to be quite extraordinary artists themselves. So, you know, I remember Nakia Louie came and did um, a uh, national studio years ago and was part of the Fresh Ink mentoring program, you know, well before she was in well-known on TV and writing shows that have been doing Barra flagship companies. And there's a whole host of writers like that, Tasnam Hussain, who's just kind of exploded onto the directing scene. But she got involved because she was writing. She was doing slam poetry and she saw this thing for the National Studio and went, I'll give that a shot and went down and spent a week with 20 other playwrights and then went, oh, I think I want to try this for a while. And as a result, we've got, you know, scroll forward six, seven years and you've got one of the most exciting new artists kind of coming up in Sydney. The opportunity for young, not only just for young performers, but for young creatives and writers through ATYP is extraordinary. And the amount of new work that we see um, coming out of people that studied at ATYP, have done work at ATYP or are doing their productions with ATYP is amazing. And I mean, obviously... You yourself, Fraser, are a dramaturg and director, uh, as well as being the artistic director. And I'm sure there have been so many, but what have been some of your, the highlights of some of the productions that you've um, mm. directed or done dramaturgy for? Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a great question. It's really interesting. There's been a few in terms of really different styles of shows over the years. Um, one of the shows that we did, which we did at the time and it didn't, when it was pitched, it didn't feel that special. And it wasn't one of my shows. It was actually Janice Muller who went on to, she moved down to Melbourne and was resident at Malthouse yeah. for a number of years. Um, and she pitched this idea, which we did in partnership with Sydney Living Museums, who have all these historic buildings through the rocks and through Sydney. So they gave us about five historic buildings of different generations in the rocks. And we organised a pop-up box office on George Street. And then she curated five leading artists who then did different works with different groups of young people in each building, specific to that building. And then the audience's men on George Street, they were split into teams. They were given a map and basically a timetable. They all needed to start at a different venue and then rotate around. So they saw so that the young people perform the same thing five times in a night and to different audiences. And at the yeah. time it felt really kind of youth arts and, you know, people were saying, oh, it's different, but... Youth Arts has been doing site-specific stuff like that for many, many years. But I have to say, it was magic. Like the whole experience, the experience of John and the Rocks, the fact that every time you turned up at a venue, you didn't know what it was that you were going to see. There was something really quite special about that. So there's, on the one hand, there's those sorts of shows. And then on the other hand, there's shows like, I mean, a kind of a breakthrough show for me was a show called Sugarland, which we developed in Catherine and the Northern Territory. But when I went for the job running ATYP, I was asked to pitch a project. This is in 2008. And so I knew that ATYP did residencies. Um, I knew that it did high-quality production. So I pitched this idea of a show that had been developed in regional Australia that would have a couple of different components to it. It would, be, it would have a community development and then it would also commission and develop a show for a professional cast that would tour And then it would, Mm. between the two, record that development process to build educational resources so that when the show goes on, it has these resources of how the whole project was put together. Um, And so I pitched that in 2008. We got funding to do it in 2011. We finally put it on in 2014 um, in 
oh, in wow. Catherine and then at the Darwin Festival and then we brought it to Sydney. And then just by coincidence in Sydney, there was um, all the venue managers from around Australia were at a conference, so they came and saw it. So then it got a national tour in 2016. So that was the first ATYP show to hit the road in 20-odd years. Um, wow. And then it won the Helpman Award for Best Touring Production off the back of that. And that production kind of changed the company in a way. That was the the, the, mm-hmm. the production that finally kind of broke through this stigma about what youth theatre is and made people go, oh, okay, youth theatre can be professional theatre as well as participatory theatre. So that, I mean, they're very different types of shows, but there are many that I love, but but Sugarland was kind of the game changer for ATYP. That's amazing. And to be like the first touring production in... I think you said like 20 years is it it shows a lot about and not only the what the contents of the production but the production itself and what it brought to all of these venues like the venue managers you were saying they were all there who got the opportunity to see what this show was and the space that it created is awesome and the fact the timeline of you know it's also really important to know that when you create a show and or you come up with the initial idea or the initial when you pitch it that's what the word is um how long the pro- that process can take a while but how rewarding it is yeah and so often end. you know as you guys would have experienced as artists yourselves like you know you come up we're going to do this amazing thing and then as you kind of go through the grind of resourcing it and getting the artisan it just slowly morphs often and the vision kind of by the time it went on you went well it was a good idea but we didn't quite get there this time and that is yeah. such a common experience. So it's it's quite rare for to come out the other end and go, wow, we actually <laughs> we actually delivered what we said we'd deliver actually, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> come on, help me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much like in Australia in theatre, it's like the highest the highest honor you can get is getting that that um and also the validation of having the work that you've been working on for so long just to validate young people in theatre mm. as well as the work that, that has taken that time and, and to give it time and to persevere with it too because, like you said, time, you know, you can dwindle a little bit or it can get a little bit muffled, but if you just keep pushing through, good good stuff can happen. And the other thing about that project, which is an interesting kind of story, but was that we did a reading of it and we got that feeling like, wow, this, you know, you saw it on stage and you went, oh, this thing actually has the potential to be quite special. So then went around and pitched it to a whole bunch of established professional companies as a co-pro and so met with a number of artistic directors at the time who all for various reasons went, oh, it's not quite ready for this and it's not ready for that and it's not. And so it got knocked back as a co-pro. And so we then put it forward to do ourselves totally, which meant that ATYP needed to wear $100,000 deficit in the budget in order to put it on. And we were talking to our chair at the time. He said, you know, we presented him with the budget and I had a $100,000 hole in it. And he said, what's this for? <laughs> and we said, well, it's for Sugarland. I said, if you want to lose $100,000, you just draw a line through Sugarland. And then we don't do that show. Um, and he turned to our general manager at the time, Aaron Beach, who's now Belva. And said, well, "What do you think?" And Aaron said, "Look, I reckon this could. I reckon it's worth the investment." And so, one of the, the lovely things about that as well is that it needed, you know, kind of it had. There are times often where you need to choose whether or not you're going to back an idea or not, 
And sometimes there are very good reasons to back down from that idea. But if you, mm. you really need to be convinced if something's going to get across the line. And that was one of those rare moments where we were convinced that we'd get across the line. And, and so, yeah, so ATYP took it on and lost $100,000. But it was a really successful show. <laughs> yeah. It was worth it. Was it. Worth it was it. totally worth it. You'll lose some, you'll win some. Yeah, well, exactly. well, and the way that we articulated that was that it wasn't a loss, it was an investment. We invested. Exactly. Yeah, but um, it's the other part of that story, I guess. It's kind of funny. I love it. And talking about investments, actually, um, we've heard that ATYP's space is getting a little bit of an upgrade, including a new theatre. What has the process and the development been like? So the process was in 1998, Bob Carr stood on Pier 4 (laughs) 5 and looked across at the water at Pier 2-3 and announced to a collective gathering that ATYP and Bell Shakespeare would have a new home built for them on Pier 2-3. When I started in 2009, so in my job interview, the chair at the time said, we're looking at this development, do you feel comfortable managing that? I was like, you say anything for a job, you're like, yeah, sure. And then they presented me with these architectural designs for the space in 2009 that had been drawn up in 2008, 2007, 2008. So this negotiation has been going on forever. Um, And um, we moved out of our space in 2018, obviously, so that they could start the renovations. So when we move in on the 13th of December this year, it will be the outcome of kind of (laughs) more than 20 years discussion and it's the first time in the company's 59 year history that we'll have our own theater so even when atyp was founded it used to it was founded alongside essentially sydney's founding adult professional theater um the old tote and so the old tote used to do works for adult audiences and atyp used to work with the same artists but do work for young audiences so you know there's these beautiful photos of Jackie Weaver as a young artist performing with ATYP and John Gaydon. And so professional actors creating work for young audiences. But actually moving into this space next year is means that it has a foundation that the company has never had before. So we're extraordinarily excited about the opportunities that that brings, um, sitting between Bell Shakespeare and the Australian Chamber Orchestra. It's out of this world and, and it will definitely bring a lot more opportunities to the theatre company, yeah. owning your own theatre and having the opportunity to really, you know, do do new stuff and stuff you've never been able to do before. Yeah, well, it gives us, so it's a 200-seat theatre, 196 seats, which is twice what we used to have. And it means that, we have the capacity to run a professional season that could actually make decent box office. So it means that ATYP for the first time can really drive box office from a season. So the goal next year is to launch a season of fully professional work and see how sustainable, how we go, see how sustainable that can be and whether we can essentially flip ATYP back to being a fully professional theatre company. I guess on the talk of, and obviously it's still so, it's still pretty decently far ahead in, in terms of um, 2022, but obviously with this new professional season that you're going to be doing, what are some things, obviously, I know you can't tell us shows, mm. but what are some things that we could possibly expect from your 2022 season with ATYP? So in a way, the idea is 
it's about getting so what's happened we did our first professional show in 2011 in a partnership with Sydney Theatre Company which is called Tusk 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 um and then we have landed at least one professional show so in the early years they were all co-pros then the following year we did Silent Disco with Griffin and Hot House Theatre then we did um uh, a show with version 1.0 um, called The Tender Age. And we just kind of kept every year we did uh, one professional show in amongst our more standard kind of youth theatre larger cast. So in a way what you can expect is that one show a year that we've been giving you for the last 10 years bundled together as five shows in a season. And the difference will be for an audience that... What you used to do is you used to pick and choose an ATYP show because some of them would be for little kids, you know, there'd be a show every year for t- with 10 to 13-year-olds in it, which is really lovely yeah. to take your kids to, but you probably don't want to see it if you're an older teen or young adult. Um, whereas we will present a season which is really for a teen to adult audience. So it's a season when people are like, well, what does that look like? It's like if you think musical theatre, when you go, not that it's a musical theatre season, but when you go and see musical theatre. ATYP, purely musical musical theatre. Musical theatre, yeah. (laughs) And when we see a season like that, you're kind of like um, Hamilton obviously is on at the moment and my 11-year-old was dying to see it and her mother was dying to see it. So they went to see it together and enjoyed it equally and neither of them felt like they were compromising for the other. That's the Mm. goal. Yeah. Okay, so rather than, oh, I'm going to take my kid to see this show at ATYP, I probably won't get much out of it, but hopefully they'll love it. It's the idea of going, no, 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 it shows where a teenager and an adult should enjoy it equally, though they look at it from different mm. perspectives. And that's the best type of theatre. I mean, you go and see any movie these days, and like animation is a really great example of this, where adults go and see animations and they're like, Oh, I'm laughing as much as the five-year-old next to me. They may not get the innuendos that they are putting out there, but I'm getting it. So there's different, there's things for all different audiences, yep. which is, you know, all that we can really That's ask That's totally for. true. And the reason for that is because often the really good ones have really clever stories. They've got really clever story structures. Mm-hmm. And often the ones, you know, the ones that really fly as animated features are the ones that genuinely appeal because we generally get sucked into the story. And I kind of, that's the principle, like really good theater should engage everybody um, Mm. because you get kind of sucked into the dilemma of what's happening on stage. Now, not some shows are going to push some boundaries that are going to alienate some people. And of course it has to do that. But if you develop work so that it has a really kind of, again, we come back to this idea of a sophisticated storytelling at its heart, then the age of the character driving it doesn't necessarily negate other audiences from enjoying it. A hundred percent. And, I mean, you have been working with young people for quite some time now. (laughs) Why do you think that it is important to give young people a voice in the arts? I've come to the conclusion, particularly in recent years, that actually young people are still one of the most marginalised groups in society. Traditionally, we say young people Mm. and retirees are kind of left out in the cold. And I still, I think that's really true. And it fascinates me because, yeah, 
you, you look at the youth climate protests and other things and you hear about the discourse around that. And there's this idea that if young people are passionate and are doing this, then someone's put them up to it. You know, some adult has got in their ear and has given these, um, them these ideas that have driven them forward. We have had this perception over the years that young, young people are not going to be really good at performing because they haven't been trained. But, you know, if we take them yeah. and we train them, then they're probably worth listening to. So if you've got a really complex 16-year-old, look, no 16-year-old's going to be able to play that role very well because they haven't been trained. But we can get a 26, 27-year-old and we'll get them to play the 16-year-old. And sure, they don't quite look right, but they'll be a more sophisticated performer. And I just think that's bollocks. I think actually there are extraordinarily talented people that come through and recognise and come into their talent at really early ages. And you just need to take the time to find them and put them forward. And when you do, they inspire a hell of a lot of people, you know. So I think we constantly underestimate. One of the great examples for me is script development workshops. So ATYP has always involved panels of young people in script development workshops. And almost always, whether it's professional industry or other people outside the industry, they think, oh, yeah, but young people, you know, they're not very good at expressing their opinions. And you kind of go, hang on, if you sit a young person down and you show them something and then you go, what do you think? And you stick a microphone in their face. Of course, they kind of tend to be like, oh, uh, I'm not sure. And so the stuff that comes out of their mouth isn't very considered. But if you get an adult and do exactly the same thing, generally what comes out of their mouth isn't very considered. But if you get a young person and you show them a story and then you have a bit of a chat about it and you interrogate it and then you give them a break and then you sit down and you read the same story again and then you say, what do you think? What comes out of their mouth is extremely perceptive, extremely accurate, extremely articulate and extremely useful to the process moving forward. The issue hasn't been that young people don't know how to contribute. The issue has been that no one has actually valued a process that gives young people time to think, reflect, discuss and then articulate what they do. And when you do that, what you get out of it is really exceptional. And our experience over and over has been then these panels go, wow, I'm really impressed by what they come up with. I really didn't think they'd be able to do that. They're exceptional, those people. And you're kind of like, yeah, because you kind of need to give them a process and a structure. This is kind of newer to them than it is to some dramaturg that's been doing it for 20 years. And when and when you give them that structure, they fr- they thrive. I mean, even uh, like I'm studying music theatre right at, at university and yeah, I'm not as good as say a third year actor, but we're doing a play and when you investigate more and more into it and you allow your students in a way students or young people or uh, young professionals to really delve into it they'll come up with the most amazing stuff that that you know and it's different for every single actor and every single person so it's it is an incredibly powerful thing to give a voice to a young person and um, help them to discover their voice as well. Totally. but And it's about remembering that giving them a voice does not mean just grabbing them and sticking a microphone in front of it. It's like give them time <laughs> to understand what it is that you want them to reflect on, provoke them to get a sense of the sorts of things that are going to be discussed, give them a chance to articulate what they're thinking the first time and reflect on it, and then let them speak to it publicly And like everyone else, once they've had that chance, what comes out is going to be equally as articulate as anyone else. Which you've definitely seen time and time again with ATYP. Mm. But you have the opportunity to work with young people on the arcs 
in the arts. In the arts. In the arts. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's late. Every day. What would be some advice that you would want to give to any young performers listening in, wanting to make their venture into performing, writing, the arts in general? Yeah, I guess two things which kind of feel probably may sound a little bit contradictory. One of the things is do it. Throw yourself in, boots and all. All that because there doesn't may not be money in it and you know, you may not become rich doing it and it may be a bit of a struggle. If it's what you want to do and what you love, do it is the first thing. The second thing is be aware that it's going to involve multiple things. It's not probably going to be what you initially expect. So build a range of skills that support what you want to do. If you want to be an actor, great. If you want to be a stage actor, great. But in order to support yourself, you're going to need to figure out how to apply that in different ways. It may be that you need to learn how to teach drama to kids. It may be that you need to learn how to use some of those skills to talk to corporates to better present what they're doing in businesses. It may mean that you decide to do some voiceover work. It may mean that you decide to make short films to support. Like you are going to need to build... To be an artist these days, you need, you will need to slowly develop multiple skills. And so don't be concerned about being distracted if you find yourself getting a gig that leads to a gig that leads to a thing that leads to a thing which has you doing something quite different from where you started. That's okay. Develop those skills and then go back and keep going with where you wanted. But um, so that would be my suggestion. One is go for it, boots and all. And two is be open to being led into different opportunities and broadening those skills as you move forward. Because if you, the trick in the arts is it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And the number of people that are like, I want to have made it in three years or I'm going to give up. But actually, if you sit down and go, what does made it mean? Because if you say, I want to be on television, you may achieve that and still not have a gig in four years. Or if it's, you know, being a main stage major performing arts show you may achieve that but not get anything the year after so you need to figure out how to employ your skills and your passion in ways that make you feel creatively fulfilled and can keep you going so that you can do it for 20 years and not five longevity is such a thing to keep going and not not to have um, a time frame on things, which I definitely think happens in the theatre where like, we're only young for so long. (laughs) (laughs) All the youth is going. (laughs) And then you look at some people starting in their 29, they look like babies. Like (laughs) really, the time isn't going anywhere. (laughs) There is enough time. Well, thank you so much for answering all of our questions today and being so um, helpful with them. I'm sure everyone has a lot that they have learnt. But before we go, we usually end with a bedtime story, which is usually a, a stage mishap or something that's happened in a show. Do you have a, a stage mishap for us? To link it to something that we talked about earlier was Sugarland. So Sugarland opened in Darwin and then our production manager at the time booked it onto, he got very cheap freight and saved us quite a bit of money to get the set from Darwin to Sydney. Anyway... I walked in on the day of our tech and it was a simple set that was designed to tour, but there was no set. So I said, oh, okay. And I said, um, where's, I said to our stage manager, where's the set? And she said, oh, and she got very official. I was like, oh, okay. She said, Fraser, could you please meet 
the production manager in Aaron's office, who is our general manager. Like, oh, no. Okay. So I went up to Aaron's office. Okay. It's like, there's the set. The set was in Toowoomba in Queensland. Like, oh, okay. And when is it going to land? And they said, uh, Friday. I was like, oh. and does it matter that our show opens on Thursday? And we have a photographer from the paper coming in in three hours to shoot the cast on the set. And so we had to, so we, we kind of paused while we thought about what to do. And Aaron Beach, who is genius at solving problems, he's like, do you reckon you've got any mates in Brisbane that could drive our set down? So I got in touch with a friend from Brisbane and said, look, this is what we need. And another friend who was an actor was looking for work. So I had to get in the phone and go, look, what I need you to do now, like right now, is hop in your car, drive out and pick up this ute that we've booked for you in Brisbane. Then you need to drive it to Toowoomba and pick up our set. And then you need to drive our set down here today so that we can have it for tomorrow morning to tech on it, to do our first preview on it tomorrow night. And he did. And we paid him and he drove our set down. And we bumped it in and then he turned around and he drove back to Brisbane. And we did our season on the set. Oh, crazy. What a legend. <laughs> I know. Amazing that, amazing that he was just willing to just like, yep, yeah, cool. Peter Cossa. It was amazing. But it also helped that, you know, he was an actor. So he knew, he kind of, and, he, and there are other he times knew, when you. He knew the stakes. You just lean into the craziness of it. You just lean into the fact yeah. of going, cool, let's put on a show. I'll do that. So, yeah, he literally, I think, <laughs> had time to kiss his wife and kids goodbye, drive up and hop in this thing and, and spend essentially whatever it was 20 hours on the road driving it down and back again damn oh, that is fantastic that's amazing that's an amazing story though and it's, and it's great to see like yeah what you can do under pressure of just going just giving yourself that moment to think and being like okay this is what we need to do and it needs to happen today yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat to us tonight fraser it has been amazing to get your insight into not only atyp but being an artistic director and just the world of theatre, especially from the perspective of young people. So guys, if you want more information on ATYP, you can follow their Instagram at ATYP underscore theatre, as well as check out their website for any classes, productions or anything. They do have classes as well for older kids like myself, if you're, I believe it's up to the age of 26. Um, so check out the, the their website, which is atyp.com.au. They have an amazing range of classes for big kids and little kids, amazing shows coming up and such. Um, but once again, thank you so much, Fraser, for being here. Thank you, Tori and Eliza. It was lovely to talk to you. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.